Welcome to AACS Today, the official podcast of the American Association of Christian Schools. Thank you for joining us on this episode of AACS Today, and this is a special edition. We have not recorded a podcast in a little bit of time, and for those of you that have followed the podcast, you may have been wondering uh, where we where we were at. Well, we, we, took, we took some time off from the podcast this summer, but we're back for this special edition podcast because we have some very important things to discuss today. So I'm Matt Tiskis, your host for AACS Today and Regional Director for the Mid-South Region of the AACS. And I'm joined on the podcast today by the one and only Jameson Coppola, our Legislative Director. Jameson, good to have you back on the podcast. It's been a little while, but looking forward to uh, today's episode with you. Hey, thanks. It's good to be with you, Matt. Always uh, good to sit down and talk about the issues facing our schools. So it's been a bit and glad to be back with you. Yeah, and you talk about issues facing our schools. Well, there are some pretty big issues right now. And so where we want to frame the discussion for today's podcast is a, is around the topic of school reopening in this time of COVID. A lot of our podcasts, Jameson, that we've done together have been around pieces of legislation uh, that relates to our schools, the CARES mm-hmm. Act, and some of the programs that have been available. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we're getting into uh, schools who are returning back to campus, uh, schools who are who are still a little bit unsure of what to do. And then we even have uh, some situations where some, some local and state officials are stepping in and causing uh, some difficulty for our schools to reopen. Yeah. So we, we want to take the podcast today to kind of focus on that, and really, uh, Jameson, as always, we're not going to try and tell uh, our school leaders what to do, but we want to give them some tools for how to think through the issue, correct? Mm-hmm. That's that's right, Matt. Yeah, typically we're coming to you about what's happening on the federal level. And uh, right now, uh, there's there's pending legislation that may impact our schools, but um, Congress is out of session uh, at this time. And uh, there's the, the payroll implications of the executive order that, that we may say some about uh, soon, as soon as we get some clarity on how it affects our schools. But really, primarily right now, we're concerned about uh, what we're seeing in the state's response to the COVID uh, pandemic. Yeah, so let's go right to one of those issues, and that is in Montgomery County, uh, Maryland. So Jameson, give us some of the context of what's happening in Maryland, because this might be helpful to, to schools uh, as they deal with some of their local health officials in their state. Yeah, I think uh, Maryland uh, provides us a good parable to kind of see some of the broader issues. Um, a couple of weeks ago, a Maryland County, Montgomery County public health official, official issued uh, an order, public health order, prohibiting the opening of private schools. And the governor had issued a statewide directive that allowed uh, public schools uh, to uh, make the decision for reopening based on local conditions, right? So they said, hey, the the public school districts can look at what's happening in the area and they can make a decision about opening for in-person instruction. However, in Montgomery County, the, the public health official said, yeah, public schools can do that, but private schools cannot open. And so, uh, of course, that was of concern to the schools that we have in that county, and they reached out to us. We were able to contact um, one of the public interest law firms that does religious liberty, and they began to help us navigate that issue. Because when you have a division between 
what the state is requiring from a public school and a private school, it's a pretty easy case of an arbitrary decision that disadvantages a private school against a public school. And so uh, that that was the issue. Um, It went through like two rounds. The the governor overrode the local official. And of course, he didn't uh, take that sitting down. He, He ordered another directive that was not based on the the governor's original executive order, but based on his existing power as a public health official. But that was a really weak legal basis, and before too long, he rescinded it. And so that was kind of the the Montgomery County situation, and I think we can take a a few um, lessons from what we're seeing as that situation develops further. Yeah, and one of those has to do with jurisdictional authority. So in other words, we have an official who really has had uh, no jurisdiction over, uh, let's say, a private school for a period of time, other than maybe your typical health visits that you would expect to, to check on your lunchroom program or, or, or something like that. Now, all of a sudden, stepping in and, and exercising jurisdiction over your school in ways it hasn't been in the past. So that's a, that's a big issue that we need to think yeah. about. Yeah, it's it's the, the the way this pandemic or the response to uh, COVID nineteen um, has developed has created all sorts of jurisdictional issues and I would say government overreach. And uh, since our you know it, it, this is a liberty issue, um, I don't know if you remember Matt, but years ago um, I think it might have been required reading in one of my courses, but there was a, a an essay I think by Malcolm Muggeridge. British uh, author, journalist, and the title of it was Petty Dictatorships Are Proliferating, (laughs) and it was an analysis of the fact that when you have bureaucratic government that has power, they use that power sometimes for their own agenda, right? We, We give government officials power to work for the good of the people. But because we know man has a, a fundamentally sinful nature, it's very tempting for them to flaw, uh, fall into using that power for their own purposes. They become, in a sense, petty dictators. So, so wait a minute. So you're saying that there might be some public officials who aren't excited about the work that private Christian schools are doing in their community? Well, well I mean, that's the concern, right? In the past, our association has fought very hard for autonomy and independence. Uh, we value deeply the protections uh, that the Constitution promises to us. Now, they don't give us these protections, but they promise that our government will guard those protections. And one of those is the right to religious liberty. And education is uh, one of one of the outgrowths of our religious opinion. So if, if a state public health official can step in and say, you do not have the liberty to educate your children because we believe that there's a health issue that is more important than your right to educate your children, um, then that, that obviously draws our concern because, um, like you said, in the past, we, we, we have graciously um, submitted to fire inspections of our building, for, for uh, inspections of our food service facilities and our health records for students and those sorts of things that we realize that the government has an interest in protecting people's lives by being involved in. But this crisis has started to blur the lines of, of where exactly can the government assert something for public health in such a way that says you cannot 
provide in-person instruction for your students. And so we're concerned about that. Yeah. And it's popped up in a couple of other ways as well. I know in a neighboring county in Maryland to Montgomery County, private schools have been instructed to submit uh, what are called reopening plans to the, to the officials. So this would be another example of kind of these government officials stepping in and, and, uh, claiming jurisdiction over areas where maybe they, they hadn't had before. Right. Yeah. And, and that is kind of that gray area that we're talking about, right? So if a public health official says public schools can make their own decision based on the health of the student body and they can decide for in-person, but private schools, sorry, you don't have a choice in that. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a pretty easy winnable case. But now we have like a more gray area where they're saying things like, well, you haven't typically had to submit plans on how you were going to do operations within your school, um, but now you do. And you have to submit them to some – in Virginia, it's to a quasi-governmental organization that works for the Department of Education. And so now you have – and by the way, in Virginia, there's a little history of this current administration and the bureaucrats that have come into Virginia of wanting more control over private education in in. Whenever uh, the state starts reaching into the inner workings of our organization, in other words, tell us how you're going to handle specific problems within your school, it creates concerns because we don't, we don't share the same fundamental understanding of child growth and development many times, of uh, appropriate um, teachings about, for instance, human sexuality and the differences in boys and girls, you know, like we have very, um, biblical understandings of things that are becoming increasingly foreign to the world. And so when they say, now you have, we're going to get inside of your organization and look at how you're operating based on COVID, it causes a little concern for us, especially if they've never had any jurisdictional authority to require a plan to be submitted to either public health officials or public education officials, which is the case, you know, depending state by state. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's kind of take a, a bigger picture look now uh, at an issue. And it's, it's this, we had talked about how uh, when an official is treating public school and private school differently, that that's kind of an easy uh, you know, slam dunk win for the, for the private schools. But I think uh, a, a larger question comes out of this is, is the public school the right comparative for us to be looking at? And so on the surface, I think we'd say yes, but, but talk to us a little bit yeah. about why that may not be the best comparative for our schools. Yeah, it's a really good observation. So fundamentally, we're trying to make liberty arguments. I don't like, just to begin with, before we even talk about the comparative between public schools and private schools, I don't like the the new understanding that our society has kind of embraced, frankly, that government can decide whose jobs are essential and whose jobs are not essential, right? right. That, that's kind of the foundation of this. Um, we, we, we as government officials can decide some people can go to work and make a living and other people cannot. I think that's a dangerous path to follow. Now, in times of absolute crisis, you know, the first, two, for instance, the two first two weeks of the, uh, of the COVID epidemic, when we weren't sure exactly how deadly or how virulent the virus was, people said, you know what, we'll take a break for a couple of weeks and see how this works out. Well, we're past that point now where the government is still picking winners and losers as far as employment. All right, so that's the basis. But, but we're probably not going to win that because there are so many people afraid of this virus. They're letting government have that power. 
So then the question becomes, well, how do we fight within an environment where we're trying to uh, make sure the government picks us as a winner, so to speak, and not a loser? And, and right now, the common understanding is, well, if you're a K-12 school, and as long as we're treating private schools like public schools, then you don't have an argument to be made that it's unfair. But I would encourage our schools to consider that that's the wrong comparison. First of all, we're not public schools. We're private schools, right? So we enjoy uh, religious liberty rights, but we also enjoy rights of assembly. A better comparative to make that argument that we should be allowed to open would be childcare centers, right? During this entire pandemic, I don't think childcare centers in Virginia, which is my home state, I don't think they shut down at all, even for the two-week period. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure they stayed open because essential workers needed to be able to place their kids in supervision and go to work. Well, if some organizations that care for children that are privately funded <laughs> can stay open, camps, child care centers, other businesses that have important work to do, then I think we have a legitimate argument to make that you know, you can shut the public school system down because you're a public health official, but you can't shut a private school down if other private organizations who care for children can remain open. And so I think that needs to be our argument. Our religious liberty rights, our assembly rights, our private property rights, all of those things combine together for us to make the argument that if anybody who's caring for children – oh, here's another one. In some districts, public schools are opening up for child care. <laughs> well, just because we're putting our kids in their desks and teaching them about Jesus and the Bible and math and science and all of the things that we teach them, just because we're um, having a different uh, program for our kids academically – as opposed to just dropping them off for camp, doesn't delegitimize our right to be open and care for our kids. So be careful about falling into the trap of just saying, so long as um, the pu public schools are closed, then I guess I have to remain closed too as a private school. You need to make that decision in light of your parents' wishes, in light of your religious liberty rights, in light of your rights of assembly and private property, and less on whether or not your district has decided that public schools should be open or closed. Yeah. And our parents, you know, our parents vote with their feet. If they don't like what we're doing uh, in our school, if they don't feel like we're providing a, a safe environment for uh, the students in our care, which of course we are very concerned about, no doubt. But if parents don't feel like we're doing a good job with that, they're not, they're not going to hang around in a particular school that they feel like is not doing uh, what they want done for their children. On top of that, Public schools, Jamison, are going to continue to be funded. The teachers and administrators are going to continue to be paid whether or not they have on-campus instruction. Sometimes in the private schools, you know, um, parents are communicating that they want in-person instruction and that virtual instruction is, is not what they are looking for. Um, and so uh, right. that there's a big financial part to this too. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of thoughts come to mind when you say that. And you know, you were a school administrator. I was a school administrator. There's no higher accountability than a, um, oh, I don't know, what's a cultural term? A hockey mom, <laughs> a tiger mom, right? <laughs> That's, that serves as some of the greatest accountability a school can have um, because we care about kids. We, we love kids. We love our parents. We love the mission that God's called us to, to educate children. And we're accountable to parents. We say that a lot in D.C. There's no higher accountability um, because, you know, everybody's looking for somebody else to make sure that um, things are safe 
et cetera, et cetera, that there's some oversight. Well, parents provide great oversight for this. And so our schools would be wise to, to um, take their lead from parents in all of that. And uh, you, you had a second part of that, and I, I've kind of lost my track. I got so excited about parent accountability. It what was, was the, fina- the it was the financial part. Oh, Public yeah. schools are continue to be paid. Yeah, that's such an important point. Um, you know, there's a, a part in the Declaration of Independence, and uh, we forget about the middle part of the Declaration. We like the opening and the closing, which are great. They're fabulous. But the middle part is what is essentially a legal indictment of the king. Uh, Let facts be submitted to a candid world, our founder said. And one of the arguments they made to the rest of the world that the king was an unfit ruler of a free people was that he fatigued them into compliance. And we have to consider the fact in, in, uh, in America where there is definitely a bias against private education and a bias for public education. We have to consider the fact that these public health orders can have the effect of fatiguing private schools into, you know, I might say bankruptcy, not just compliance, but fatiguing them into bankruptcy. Because to your point, public schools will always be funded. There's not going to be a time where our, our citizenry won't say education is important and we're going to provide tax monies to provide for the education of children. But that's not true for private schools. Private schools depend on the, the, the parent who is paying taxes to support the public school and then additional tuitions and a church that is giving its building many times and its offerings and, and support to a, a private school and still paying teachers um, a, a wage that's not equivalent to, to public school teachers. In, in spite of all of those economic hardships, we're still providing Christian education for kids. And in an environment where a public health official can say, no, you must stay, you must remain closed for in-person instruction, uh, private schools are incredibly disadvantaged. And it's potential that they will be fatigued into um, compliance or fatigued into bankruptcy in a situation where a public health official has that much power. Well, let's let's kind of move the discussion forward a little bit, and let's talk about now when it comes to public health officials um, asking for reopening plans. Um, first of all, uh, what what should be uh, some things to think about for our school leaders who are who are dealing with with that issue? Yeah, so the best advice we can give comes from our friends and the, uh, the legal aid organizations that we work with. And their recommendation is, as much as possible, comply with the submitting of the plans. Now, that's, that, may, that may gall, and it galls my liberty bone, as I say, um, because if they don't have the right to require the plan, th- there may be a danger in submitting, to, uh, um, in submitting your plan. But you know, a lawyer can't ever tell you to disobey the law. <laughs> they, they don't keep their law license if they tell you, um, if they were to tell you to break the law. And so their counsel is going to be make that plan as comprehensive as you can. This is the truth. We care about children. We love the families that we serve. It's reasonable for us to develop a plan that shows uh, public officials that we care about kids and we want to keep them safe. And so their counsel is going to be submit the plan and make it, you know, a five inch binder that weighs 20 pounds and, you know, 
so to speak, <laughs> drop it on the desk of the public health official and say, here's how we're doing it. Here's the pictures. Here's the, the, me- the, the measures we're taking to keep kids safe. That would be their legal counsel. Okay. And then what about a, a larger issue, which is what if they're saying, hey, um, Christian school, private school, you're not allowed to open. So the question becomes, yeah. should we reopen? And I think we can look a little bit to some things happening in the church world, specifically yeah. in California, but what yeah. kind of help us, help us frame our thinking in, in about this question. Well, I think every church is going to have to make that decision. I think in California, I think you're talking about John MacArthur. Correct. And, uh, yeah. So he's taking the position that the Bible commands Christians to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and unto God the things that are God's. And he said, um, you know, at this point, um, as uh, as thinking human beings who are committed to living out our obligations to our God, at this point, we have to obey God and not Caesar. And our God commands us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And I know there's debate in the Christian community about what, at what point, um, you know, uh, the assembly <laughs> requirement becomes real to such a degree that you have to disobey the civil authorities, in effect, you know, a, a, a version of Caesar, and obey God. I know there's some dispute about it, but I admire a man that says we've been patient, um, but we as free, independent, morally accountable human beings have decided that our obligation now is to obey God even if it comes with a consequence from government. And uh, it may be that our schools will have to take that decision up. They may have to say, we believe that in-person instruction is part of our religious obligations. There's a discipleship of children that requires in-person instruction. And there's a demand for it from our parents. There's a right to it by the First Amendment. And we're going to move ahead, even though our public health officials are uh, saying that we cannot. Now, that shouldn't be taken lightly. I think every ministry has to prayerfully work through that with their leadership and in conjunction with their families that they partner with. But it may be that that would be a decision that some of our ministries may have to make. Wow. That's... We're talking about some pretty, some, some pretty, some pretty big ideas with some pretty big implications uh, for our ministry leaders, they certainly need God's wisdom uh, as they uh, traverse these these unprecedented waters. I know we're mm-hmm. tired of hearing mm-hmm. the word unprecedented. Yeah. I think I'm yeah. ready to get back to some precedented times. I don't know yeah. about you. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> um, but um, that's really given us some some food for thought as we kind of wind down the podcast. What what final thoughts would you give us as it relates to these issues? Well, like you said, these these are weighty, heady decisions to make. Um, some of the the uh, passages that have been um, helpful to me, you know, there, there's a principle that of charity within the Christian community and uh, a, a, a principle of not judging other people's obedience to their own master, to their own master, they stand or fall. And I think as a Christian community, even if we disagree with someone's stance about their obligation to obey God instead of Caesar in these circumstances, we should be careful about being overly harsh or critical about them and say, you know what, if that's their obligation to God, then as a Christian, I want them to fulfill 
the, the, what their conscience is telling them must be done. And so I think charity in these things is really important and, uh, support, you know, um, (laughs) our country has a long history of saying government is not absolute, right? Their edicts are not absolute. Um, you know, I, I, the, the, the left is really fond of capturing our moral and ethical requirements and then using them back against us. For instance, right now, the public health officials are, are taking the line that they are protecting life, and that's why they need such comprehensive powers. But those same public health, not all of them, but many of them would also fight voraciously um, for the right for a woman to take her baby's life. Well, there are moral issues at stake in these arguments, and I don't know that somebody that supports the right of a woman to murder her baby has the uh, ethical or moral high ground on what it takes to actually protect life. And uh, so, you know, these are not easy decisions to make. They're not um, comfortable sometimes to talk about, Um, but I'm determined to... To, you know, stake my claim on the founding of our country and on men and women who said um, government's power is not absolute. There's, there is a liberty argument to be made. There's a freedom argument to be made because the creator God made us to live in liberty. He himself could have made us as creatures bound to do exactly what he commanded us to do, but he did not. He made us to live free and to make moral choices of our own free will. And I think that's the the fundamental basis and the fundamental story of our founding. Yeah, absolutely. And in a, in a day and time in which so many people are trying to tear down the, the founding principles of what our country was built upon, certainly not a perfect nation by any stretch of the imagination, but our founding principles, principles are so key to understanding how we got to where we're at today. And so many people just want to want to rip those down. And we need we need people to stand uh, for truth and to stand for for what is right. And so um, we want our schools to know that we'll be we'll be praying for them, that uh, we are uh, on their team. You know, we have representation in Washington, D.C. And of course, our different executive directors and state leaders are involved in, in their state governments. Uh, helping uh, stand for truth and and fight for truth, and yeah. uh, these are these are important times. Yeah, well, we're here for you. If we can help you, please let us know. Um, the Bible always commands us to move forward in hope and without fear. I mean, those are some of the most prevalent commands, not just wishful thinking of the Bible, but commands that Christians are to not be afraid and they are to hope in the God who is working all things out for good. That doesn't mean that we won't have to suffer some persecution. Christ himself says, you know, if you follow me, you will suffer persecution. Uh, Don't suffer for persecution because you actually have been immoral or unethical, but you may have to suffer persecution because you say, I'm going to render this unto God and and, and Caesar doesn't have a right to it. So we're here to help. Uh, Please keep us informed of how things are going in your areas. And let us know if we can uh, help you. Uh, like I said, we, we're connected to many of those uh, legal organizations that uh, want to help support the rights of religious liberty and the rights that our schools and our churches uh, 
have enjoyed, that we will continue to enjoy them moving forward in our country. And with that, we're going to close this podcast. Thank you so much, Jameson, for uh, joining me today to to help frame this discussion around school reopening in the in the time of COVID. And uh, thanks for providing for us some food for thought. Um, and I want to thank our listeners for joining us for this special edition episode of AACS today. And I want to echo what Jameson said. Know that we're here for you. If you have thoughts, comments, further questions, please feel free to reach out to us. We are here to serve you, and it is certainly our pleasure to do so. We wish you all the best as you uh, open up school and as you seek God's will for your ministry during these challenging times. God bless.